0: Welcome to the City Hill podcast. We really hope you enjoy today's message. And if you'd like to find out more about City Hill, please visit our website, cityhill.london. Man, this is an April Fool service for me Because when I look at Jesus And I look at some of the things he said There's some things he said that are so outlandish That when I read the Bible I read it waiting for the April Fool's I read, we, like I'm thinking he's going to be like Not psyched, Mm, don't really mean that For realsies Like, when we think about the storm he was in There are hardened fishermen that have chosen to follow Jesus With their whole lives And they're on a boat screaming we're all going to die Jesus is asleep And when they wake him up his response is to stand up and say, be still, calm it, chill, peace, shalom. And it's gone, and it stops. I mean, for me at that moment, if I saw in that situation, when hardened fishermen are screaming like that, a dude wants to stand up and his solution in the scenario is to speak to it, I'd be like, Jesus, just chill please. I'd be waiting for him to say at the end of it like, oh well, that was lucky, well timed, didn't see that coming. <laughs> didn't think that'll work, great. We always look at Jesus and we always look at the Gospels from a, a standpoint, if you're a Christian, of just completely accepted without sometimes wrestling with the gravity of what's happening within the text. And actually just going, oh, well, he's God, and just moving through it as opposed to how his disciples would have seen it. They would have been there standing, seeing this for the first time, like, oh my days, I did not see that coming, because they'd signed up to follow a rabbi. They'd signed up to so- follow a social innovator. They'd follow to follow someone who would make a difference in their community. They didn't understand that when they signed up to follow someone who was going to make a difference in their community, the kind of difference he was actually going to make. They were probably waiting for April Fools a lot of the time. Or when he said, love, you know, hey, love yourself, love God, love one another, love your neighbor. Yeah, you know, love people, do good to people. They'd have been like, yes, love people. Do good to people. Yes, love people, love my neighbor. Yes. And then he goes, bless those who curse you. No, <laughs> you gotta be kidding me, right? Love your enemy. Oh, well, you, can, you know where you can <laughs> shove that one. So many times people would have heard not just the, thing, the things he did, but the things he said and gone like, you mu- this must be an April Fool's joke. There's no way, Jesus, you mean this. When he said, love your neighbor, one guy said, yeah, but who is my neighbor? He wanted affirmation that it's people who are like you. And and then Jesus goes, I've got a story. A guy was walking down the street, and as he was going along, and then he just starts dropping this word of, constantly, Samaritan, Samaritan, Samaritan. The guy in front of him, it'd have been like being at like a KKK rally, and the hero of the story's mixed race. And the guys would be like, that the whole time. And Jesus going, Samaritan, 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 Samaritan. And then he goes, who was the neighbor? Who loved? And the guy can't even say Samaritan. And then Jesus goes, who? And then he's like, the one who showed them mercy. The one, he couldn't even say the name. And then Jesus says, you go and do likewise. The guy was asking a question about eternal life and he ends up with Jesus pointing the hatred in his heart that he has to release. You gotta be kidding me. I gotta love that person. And it goes in reverse as well to us that we gotta love the unlovable. But he doesn't stop with love, he says forgiveness. He preaches about forgiveness, like you need to be forgiven of your sins. And then he says, one day, hey, God forgives. Yes, you forgive others. No, every one of us is like pumped to be forgiven. I've been forgiven so many times by Jody. it's an amazing, wonderful, beautiful thing. Eden even forgives me. She was crying, screaming, I love you daddy, yesterday, because I was telling her off, I love you daddy through the wall because she was so sad that I was angry and even though I've been angry the forgiveness and the cuddles I got later man I love forgiveness it's great but Jesus says God forgives you yes forgive others no do you know what they did to me do you know how much that hurts do you know how real that is what Jesus does especially this kind of time of year but he says if you don't forgive God will not forgive you Ah, oh, man, that's got to be an April Fool's joke. That's got to be... You can't really mean that stuff. But then he says so many other things as he goes along that when we look at and we flow through Mark's Gospel, he just keeps leaving like these post-it notes everywhere because he's like, these guys are never going to believe it. They're never going to believe the message. They're never going to believe what I'm going to do. They're never going to believe the life that I'm really about. So he starts trying to make it apparent. He doesn't say it once and say it twice. He says it three times three times he goes to them, he leaves them post-it notes, or like the automated email. You know, you go on holiday, you leave an automated email that's ready to give people a heads up. Oh, heads up, I'm away from June 13th to the 14th. I'll be back in the office on the 18th, and uh, da, da 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 you know what I mean? We all get those kind of emails. We emails went, oh, flip's sake, I'm not going to get a message back. Oh, so frustrating. Jesus, three times, goes to his disciples, and even publicly for others to hear. He goes, hey man, they're going to, the powers that be are gonna get a hold of me, they're gonna kill me, three days later, guess who's back, 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 back again, again, again. You know, tell your friend. That's what he says to them, three times. There's one time he says it publicly, he talks about the temple. They will destroy this temple, but I'll raise it up again in three days. And even the things he says get misconstrued. He ends up before the leaders for his trial and the accusation they're bringing is, he said he would destroy the temple and that he would bring it back within three days. And then the other leaders there are like, what, that's ridiculous. We we heard, but he didn't even even say that. And what's cool is Mark talks about that, but doesn't even talk about the initial comment. It's in John 2 that we hear what Jesus says. And so constantly he's saying these things that actually when we think about it, we're thinking, Jesus, do you really mean that? To the point where one of the three times that that Jesus says, I'm going to be killed and I'm coming back three days later, Peter has to step in. He has to take Jesus aside. Like, Jesus, let me coach you, bro. This isn't how it goes down. This isn't a smart thing. You're not about that. You're not about that death life. Kind of funny. Just me. You're not about that. And Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. Get behind me on Satan. He roasts him. But then, if we if we lock into like the last few days, so this time of year, this is all about Easter, this is all about Jesus, this is about the time he arrives at Jerusalem, like three days before Passover. When we follow that flow, what happens is, he he tells the boys, guys you need to go, look out, there's gonna be this donkey tied up to a fence, you're gonna take that donkey, and you know what, if you you wrap that donkey, and, and you teeth it, and anyone tries to stop you, just say the Lord needs it, I love that passage, it's so great. I'm, lo- I'm waiting for the day when God says to me, you see that MacBook Pro on that table, I'm telling you, the Lord needs it. Man, Jesus, I'm telling you, Land Rover, hallelujah. Someone leaves the keys in that car and Jesus is speaking to me, jeez, the Lord said he has use of this Land Rover. Well, no, I couldn't do the Land Rover because he went for a donkey, so I guess, I don't know, an old banged up, more um, of oh, the car I've got, damn it, that sucks. But that's what he does. And they go, they wrap a donkey. Like, what the heck? Jesus is (laughs) joyriding on a donkey. He's like, he's like, like, it's like moped gang in the, the, you know what I mean? It's like Jesus and his boys, bird gang, bird gang, going in on a donkey. That's like, sometimes we read this. I don't think we appreciate what we're reading. You're like, no, he did not do that. He did not steal a whip. Yeah, he did. And then he rides in on this donkey And everyone is seeing it because he's taken a donkey instead of another whip because it's written in the prophecies that the Messiah would come riding on a donkey. He'd be humble. He'd be different. He'd be about this life. And so they're watching. And when the people see it, everyone is in town. So everyone is in Jerusalem for Passover. Everyone in the whole country is there, rammed packed. And as he's making the entrance, they've been hearing news of this dodgy rabbi who started out in the wilderness and been making his way around on his country tour. And he's stopping now at Jerusalem. And as he's coming in to do his tour dates, they're looking and they're like, oh my days, he's on the donkey. This is the Messiah. And so they start grabbing palm branches and leaves and they start laying them down and they're shouting out like, Hosanna, Hosanna, Son of David, Son of David, set us free, set us free, set us free. And they're waiting because as you go in through the gate, there's one of two ways to turn along the streets and one of them is to the temple, which is where everyone else is heading, but they're watching him and they're shouting, son of David, deliberately, because in the opposite direction as you come in through the gate is the Roman garrison. And they're looking at him and he's jacked to whip, and they're thinking we're about to roll deep and we're about to bust the place, we're going to smash this up, we're going to take this back, this is King David, we're going to have our nation back from the oppressor. And then what does Jesus do? Jesus does something so unbelievably offensive. He doesn't go to the Romans and give them what's theirs. He goes to his father's house, the temple. And when he's in there, he's in the outer court. And he starts knocking over the tables, selling stuff. And then the guys who are selling pigeons, he boots their stools over. I love that, that's my favorite bit. Kicking stools over, I'm totally down for that. You know, the tables, that's a lot of effort, but booting a stool under someone, I'm down for that, man, that is funny. That is like April Fool's Day's videos all over the place. So he kicks these stools over of the pigeon guys, cause you know, I don't want no pigeon. Just being real. And he kicks these doors out, and he, he's going in, and the disciples are like, oh my days, this is not what I signed up for. This is cray cray. And so Jesus kicks the doors over, and then he says these words. He says, this is my father's house. It's supposed to be a house of prayer for all the nations. And there's a reason he says that phrase. It's not just because it's in the scriptures. It's because the outer court is the only place in the whole of the temple that is only for Gentiles. It's the one place where pagans like you and me can rock up to the temple and can pray and talk to God in the Jewish faith. That's it, it's the only space. And he goes, this is the only space where the centurion can come close to God and bring real change within our world. And you filled it with money. You've made it all about yourselves. And you know what, I hate to say it, but in Christianity today, it's no longer about church, it's about the Christian life. The Christian life, it's me and Jesus. Christian life books, I love Christian life. Your best life now. (laughs) And when people talk about the temple of the Holy Spirit, they say, do you not know that you are temples of the Holy Spirit? That's not what it says. In the Greek it says, do you, plural, not know that you are temples of the Holy Spirit? When it talks about work out your salvation with fear and trembling, no. Work out your salvation, plural, with fear and trembling. Collectively loving one another, like, oh my gosh, this person's going through this. I've got to, I've got to be, I've got to be. Respons- I've got to be loving this person. I've got to be with them. I've got to speak truth, but I've got to love this person. I've got to, I've got to support them. And so Jesus is fuming and he's trashing the place because the only place the enemy, the oppressor, can come and connect with God, is being overrun. You can see why that is highly offensive when you were hoping he was going to go bang some Romans and beat them up. And that's what he chooses to do for Passover. And you can understand why the crowd were like, oh, give me Barabbas. That guy would never go kicking our butts. At least he handed it to the Romans and not some poor defenseless religious rulers trying to make a bit of cash on the side. It's a crazy, crazy story. That's how he rocks up. But then that's not just it, because that's rocking up and that's all David. and, And that's about David and being the Messiah. But then he gets the band together And in the evening after their tour, which was like, well, that date was not a sellout, that sucked. People tried to grab you and kill you. You know, can we do things differently tomorrow to Jesus? And they're sitting around the table, they're still bickering because they've been bickering for two days, who's the greatest out of them? Jesus the whole time has been talking about his humility. He's ridden on a donkey and they still don't get it. And what happens is they're sitting in a U-shaped kind of table and Jesus is waiting and they're not kicking things off because no one's feet's been washed. So Jesus gets up and goes, well, I'm gonna wash the feet. And he starts, and he starts with um, John, then he does Judas, and then he goes around the table, and he comes around to Peter, last of all. And the reason Peter, unlike all of them, is freaking out and like, you can't wash me, it's not just like uh, Peter's like, a bit different from them, a bit special, what's happened is, Peter is sitting in a particular seat. And in Jewish culture, the way the table was laid out was the best seat was Judas, the second best seat was John, and they were always bickering about who the top two were. And so the top two greatest disciples, Judas, John, going around the table, everyone else is just wherever, Peter's in the absolute worst seat. He's in the seat of the servant, the little boy who runs around and washes your feet. And Peter hasn't washed the feet, because he's like, are you kidding me? I get it with John, but Judas, Judas gets that seat, or he does not look after the money. Guy's a waste, man. Why the heck am I sitting here? So he doesn't do it. So Jesus goes around by one by one and does all their feet. And then by the time he gets to Peter, Peter's freaking out and he's like, "No, no, no, you can't wash me, can't wash me." And Jesus is like, "If you don't let me wash your feet, you have nothing to do with me." And then Peter's like, "Oh, okay yeah," And say, so "Wash his feet." And they have this meal. And then when they have the meal, they break this bread. And when they're breaking the bread, they're doing this Passover tradition. And as they break the bread, Jesus goes, "This is my body broken for you and for many." And they're like, "Hold up, wait a minute. This is about Passover. This has nothing to do with you. This is about the provision of the bread in the wilderness. Like, what you want the provision?" what the heck? And then he takes the wine and he pours it and he says, this is my blood of the covenant poured out for you and for many. They're like steady, Jesus. This is like heresy, man. This, this is symbolic of the lamb's blood on the doorposts in Egypt that, that delivered the Egyptians like Jesus, you know, check yourself before you wreck yourself. This isn't, this isn't about you. This isn't about you. But he says it is. And then he says, do this in remembrance of me. And then we know what happens, man. He's, He's taken away, he's taken before Pilate, and Pilate looks at this man, and Pilate says, I find no fault with this man, yet I will punish him anyway. And then Jesus is whipped, and the blood flows from his back. And the thing about the money changers and all these animals that are being killed all throughout the city is while Jesus is on the cross dying, giving his life for us, giving, not taken, giving, gives his life, and as he gives his life, he... Proves he's about that life because he didn't teach on forgiveness and just say it whilst dying. He says forgive them They don't know what they're doing He's about that forgiveness life. That is his moment where he says this is not April Fools I really expect people that follow me to forgive because I am up here Forgiving all because he who knew no sin became sin itself and John the Baptist said of him behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world and what would happen is you would take a Jewish ram, you bring it into the house three days early, and it would be there three days early, and you would, you would keep it in there, a one-year-old, and a one-year-old Jewish ram, like Middle Eastern ram, it's like the equivalent of a man in his early thirties. at his peak, it's strong, it trashes your house. Three days before Passover, Jesus rocks up at his Father's house and trashes the place. Then you check it, it's without blemish, there's nothing wrong with it. And then you cut the back and the blood flows, you say it sacrificially fits to be the Passover lamb. Pilate looks at him and goes, He's without blemish, I can't find any fault with this man, but I will whip him anyway. And the blood flows from his back and he's declared sacrificially fit to be the Passover lamb. The lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And in that moment, he's still about that forgiveness life. He's still about complete integrity. And he dies on the cross. And everyone starts freaking out. And they all run away. Except for the girls. Shout out to girls aloud. They stay there. One guy takes the body and brings it and They put it in this tomb. The religious leaders are freaking out. They're going to pilot, listen man, I've heard him. I've heard this guy and he keeps saying three days later he's coming back. Now we know that's not happening, but if they steal the body, it'll be worse than the stuff he was saying. The stuff he was saying was causing problems in society. But if this body's gone, we're in big trouble. We need you to send some heavy guys down there and take care of it. And then pilot's like, are you kidding me? I already bankroll all your guards. Just send your guards will stick my seal on it. My ring, my signet, will stick my seal. No one's gonna mess with my seal, that's mine. You mess with Pilate, you're crucified, you're lit up like a candlestick. So they do it and the the seal is there. And then this is what I love because then we get to Matthew chapter 28, verse one. Now after the Sabbath, towards the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven came and rolled back the stone and sat, sat on it. I love that man. The picture is always like the angel like with his legs dangling sitting on the stone. No way man, those guys are tall. He's just he's he's like crouching down like me sitting on a like kid's stool. You know those ones where you have to read a book to a three-year-old at like a school and you're like, oh my gosh, I should have squatted at the gym. I can't get back up. You know, you feel like that. That's kinda of like, yeah. And so I love it man. I love the picture. And he was like lightning, his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him the gods trembled and became like dead men. But the angel, which is where it came from, like, man's feeling dead, in not it? Yeah. So do not be afraid for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here for he has risen as he said he would. Like He's like, I love that, he's rubbing it in. He said it three times, what is wrong with you people? He told you three days later, go on, guess who's back. So he said it and he's like, like he said he would. Come and see the place where he lay, then go quickly Tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead and behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb. I love it, quickly, they ran. They just ran. They were, they'd were gone from like rock bottom, started at the bottom, now we're here, they're gassed. They are so gassed. And they're running and they're sprinting. And as they're running with fear and great joy, they ran to tell his disciples. I love that, fear. Fear, because you've just seen an angel. Like, I know there's so many guys on God TV talking about angels. But they, they they be tripping. Like, it is not like, oh my gosh I see angels all around the room. It's not like that at all, man. You see an angel, man, you, you brick it like the, like the gods. These are hardened Roman soldiers. They have gutted people for fun and laughed about it. And they are absolutely bricking it. They felt as if dead, like, man, Mm, Yeah, that's that's not what it's about. And so they were like fearful but joyful. Oh my gosh, ah, but then joyful It's a weird combination, but that's what it says and they ran to tell his disciples behold Jesus meets them and says greetings I love that because it's just accurate translation isn't it really, but I imagine it to be much more like And then they just fall at his feet and they worshiped him And Jesus said to them do not be afraid go tell my brothers of Galilee and there they to go to Galilee and there they will see me. I love that passage. The thing I love about the passage is, I found in my life that every single time I'm searching for God, he is never where I thought he would be, ever. I've never found Jesus where I thought Jesus was going to be, ever in my life. I feel like my life has been playing where's Wally whilst reading Winnie the Pooh. I'm trying to find Wally in Winnie the Pooh and I can never find him anywhere. And then all of a sudden, you're running and then boom. You're like kind of like, whoa. And there's always someone around you, a wise guy, who you're talking to about your problems and your struggles and they're like, I can just see God all over it. And you just want to uppercut them. You do, you just want to like headbutt them or something. You're like, yeah, everyone in the church now is going like, oh, when he goes through a struggle, I am totally not saying, I can see God all over it. Cause like, well actually most of you are like, I don't care if he uppercuts me, it's not going to hurt. You know, but you know what I mean? It's just, jeez, I hate it. He's never where you think you're gonna find him. And then he's like, boom, oh geez, you were there all along. You've been with me through this through thick and thin. I wanna encourage you, the places you think you're gonna find Jesus isn't always where you find him. The greatest encounters I've had with God have been in the crazy places. The of Americas out clubbing, I'm not even kidding. Uh, the Algarve in Portugal, God changed my entire life at 15 at the Algarves on the edge of a cliff. I wasn't gonna jump, I was just at the edge of a cliff. God in the most crazy way. I've been in so many like, oh man, we got a smoke machine, we got some lights. Never encountered God like I did on a cliff face in the Algarve. Never in my life. Never encountered God in a more powerful way than out clubbing in the Plate Americas where God gave me direction and saved a girl from getting raped. Not even kidding. Yeah, just felt God's presence shot while I was about to drink a pint. Not even kidding. And this huge guy who could have ripped me apart just saw me and pooed himself and ran. I, there must be an angel behind me, I'm telling you, because I looked at, like, I'm thin now, back then, the wind blew, man needed an anchor out here to stay down. <laughs> this guy missed me with a punch, I still would have been down. If a leaf came, I could have been hospitalized. <laughs> I never find Jesus where I think he's going to be. But it's April Fool's. It's April Fool's Day today. It's April Fool's Day. And you know what's funny? It's because whether you're an atheist, agnostic, or Christian, here's the funny thing. We go, oh well I've just heard all that stuff but I don't believe any of that stuff because none of that's realistic. When I hold the ruling stick of today's world which is science to it, it doesn't add up. But actually, science is good for a lot of things but it's not good for everything. You can't prove love through science, fact. You can't prove human consciousness. And none of you woke up today making decisions going, I don't know if everyone's really real, I'm gonna go and interact with people, but they might not actually be there. It could all be a figment of my imagination because I don't know scientifically that other people are actually other people. <laughs> none of you do that. None of you go, it doesn't really matter what I do today, because it's all a dream. Who does that? No one, but scientifically can't prove it. Pain, can't scientifically prove that. None of you doubt it, you've experienced it. You see what I'm saying? The ruler of science can't be held up to everything. Scientifically speaking, The latest in science says that when they look at the maths of the universe and everything they know, they say scientifically, we shouldn't be here. That's science, we shouldn't be here. April Fools, we're here. Do you know what the great news is? Do you know what the good news is for the death and resurrection of Jesus? There's going to be another time in history when Jesus has come back and every single one of us is going to be able to say, we shouldn't be here statistically. I shouldn't be living forever statistically. I shouldn't be alive to God statistically. I shouldn't be made whole statistically. I shouldn't be healed from my pain statistically. I shouldn't be made forgiven and in the image of God statistically. But April Fools, I am. Because the I am is who I am because I am in his image, I am like him and I'm following after him. So today is April Fool's, no matter where you are on the spectrum, (laughs) the spectrum, I'm gonna make that a thing. Like autism, but like faith. Yeah, oh, I'm gonna get hate on Twitter for that. Still gonna leave it in though. April Fool's days, guys. We shouldn't be here and we shouldn't exist. And there's another day coming when you shouldn't be here and you shouldn't exist. But through Jesus' death and resurrection, All of us are made fools by the gospel. April, fools. I'm going to pray for us and that will be it for today. Father God, I thank you for the grace that stretches beyond the grave. I thank you for a grace and a power, a God ability that stretches beyond our imagination and our wildest dreams and expectation. I pray this week, Lord God, that we would encounter newness of life flowing out of us. I pray that you would be with us and that your love and your grace would be sufficient. I pray that you would empower us to be people that reach out after those around us, in Jesus' name. Amen. We really hope you enjoyed today's message. And if you'd like to find out more about City Hill, please visit our website, cityhill.london.